Okay, Psalm 30, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. The heading has, and this is unique to this particular psalm, this whole heading, a psalm, a song of the dedication of the house of David. And it says a psalm of David. A psalm, uh, a psalm is in italics. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my enemies rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. O Lord, you brought me, you brought up my soul from Sheol and you kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Now as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will never be moved. O Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain to stand, to stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I called, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. That my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Okay, it's a lot there and I hope that we can do justice to that psalm. If someone asked you to classify or characterize this psalm, what is the dominant fault of... Psalm 30. How would you classify it? How would you characterize it? This is a psalm of what? Praise. Praise, a lot of people say. What would be another common answer very similar to that? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And there's not much difference between those two concepts in this psalm, are there? Because you look at verse 4, it said, Sing praise to the Lord, you His godly ones. Oh, give thanks... To his name. In verse 12, the same thing. That my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. What does it mean to praise the Lord? One thing it means to praise the Lord is to give thanks to the Lord. When we give thanks to Him, we are praising Him. We are recognizing Him as the source of all blessings. So this psalm could be characterized as a psalm of praise or a psalm of thanksgiving. I think more, if you look uh, at commentaries, more of them are going to describe it as a song of thanksgiving because... There are fewer psalms that fit that category. <laughs> I think they want to try to, to spread it out. Uh, but the the first verse says, I will extol you, O Lord. I will extol you, for you have lifted me up. And so God has lifted him up, and in a sense he's going to lift God up. It's two different words that are used there, but that is the same concept. Now this word that is translated extol in verse 1, the word that's translated extol, it is also used in 27, 5, and 6. In 27, 5, and 6, and there it is translated to lift up. But notice, in that psalm, it was God who had lifted up the psalmist in his troubles, in his distress. In verses 5 and 6, For in a day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret places of his tent he will hide me. He will lift me up. On a rock. And now my head will be lifted up 
above my enemies around me. God lifted up the psalmist from his crisis and put him on a rock. Now he uses that same word to talk about how he will extol or how he will lift up God. I will extol you for you have lifted me up. Now, that word lifted up that's used here is a word that is used in Exodus 2, in verse 16, Exodus 2, verse 19, and it has the idea of drawing water out of a well. And that's how it's used in those passages. As uh, Zipporah's daughters have grown to draw water. And God has lifted him up and he is going to extol God. Again, those are two two different words that are used, uh, but a same kind of idea. And God has not let his enemies rejoice over him. And we will find that idea used frequently in Psalm 35, that God delivered him, did not let his enemies rejoice over him. Psalm 38 will do the same thing. In verse 2, O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. Now the word heal, which is used here, the word heal, was like the Lord is said to be the healer of Israel. And if they are faithful, that He will put none of the diseases on them that He put on the Egyptians. But it's the same a root word for, for healer here used as a verb. Uh, you healed me. O Lord, You brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. Now, to me, well, we don't generally think in terms of a resurrection when we read a phrase like that. It's when you say, I had one foot in the grave and someone lifted me up. It's the same kind of idea that's being discussed. You brought up my soul from Sheol and as one who is going down to the pit. Now let's look at that word pit for a moment. But you notice in both the... This goes back to verse 1 in a sense that God is lifting him up out of something. Here, there God lifted him up like he would draw water out of a well. But here God brought up his soul from Sheol. He kept him alive that he would not go down to the pit. When Joseph's brothers threw him into a pit, this same word is used. I believe it's Genesis 37 verse 24. It's used frequently after that. It is also used when Joseph is thrown into the dungeon in Genesis 40 verse 15 which it's the same Hebrew word for the place his brothers had thrown him. And he's kind of making a comparison between his experiences at the hands of the Egyptians and his experiences at the hands of his brothers there. Who else in the Old Testament can you think of a character who was thrown into a pit. Jeremiah. Jeremiah was in Jeremiah 37 and 38. One of the passages I think I have down, Jeremiah 37, 16, that uses that term. But it's used frequently through Jeremiah 37 and 38. These places, at the bottom of a well, they served as prisons. Now I'll tell you, if that was the case, I wouldn't. I'd a lot rather experience a modern day prison than that. You think about that. Think about being thrown in the bottom of a well. Joseph was brought up. <laughs> Jeremiah was brought up. I'm sure there were some thrown in prisons in those places that never were brought up. Therefore, this word for <coughs> a well or a pit 
became too a synonym for death. Because often people met their fate, met their death at the bottom of these pits. Remember Psalm 28 used the term, do not let me go down into the pit. If you want a psalm that deals with death, it is Psalm 88. And Psalm 88 verse 3 uses this particular Hebrew word pit as a synonym for death. Psalm 88, I mean 88 verse 4, excuse me. Well, it's 88 verse 3 or 4. Let me cover both my bases. The word for pit in verse 9 is going to be a different word for pit, uh, but it can also refer to death. So we'll talk about that, Lord willing, when we get there. Who was the king who was told to set his house in order because he was going to die and he was not going to live? That was Hezekiah. And in Isaiah 38, Isaiah gives a prayer of thanksgiving for being brought up from the pit. He uses the same kind of a language. So the point is, this is a word that is used in parallelism in verse 3 with the term Sheol. You brought up my soul from Sheol. You have kept me alive that I would not go down to the pit. So we don't know all the details of what he is experiencing. I told you before that some writers believe that they were particularly vague to make sure we could all use this prayer whenever we find ourselves in any kind of situation close to this. But we will find some of the details later on. But he thinks he is on death's door. He thinks he has one foot in the grave. And the Lord will not let him go down to Sheol. He brought up his soul from Sheol and kept him alive that he would not go down to the pit. And so he is lifting God up. For God has lifted him up. In verse 2, God has healed him. And he is going to call upon all in verses three, uh, verses 4 and 5 to give thanks to God for his experience. Now, a question there or a comment you have on verses 1 through 3, anything? It's interesting that he seems to start the psalm with the conclusion. So, you know, That's a good he's point. been lifted up, but yet... He kind of he kind of then steps back and, and then builds to that point. Yeah, he goes back in the pit. You know, he's 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 delivered and he gets he throws himself in the midst of a crisis. And he really, yeah, he does that. You're right. He he, he talks about his deliverance before we see much of his experience and his crisis. And uh, so that is a good, interesting observation. He shares his news when he says his experience, so that everyone would praise God with him. I like this statement. According to the psalm, thanksgiving is not a private affair between the believer and God, but is to be sung before all his saints. When God rescues us from a dilemma and a crisis, maybe we should tell how we were going to the pit and the Lord delivered us so that all can praise God and all would receive heart in the midst of their circumstances. And so after describing his crisis in verses 1 through 3, in verse 4, sing praise to the Lord, you his godly ones. Give thanks to his holy name for his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. Sing praise to the Lord, you His godly ones. Do some of your versions have the word saints there? Some do have saints. New King James has saints. Was the ESV have saints too? Yes. Okay. So that is, remember the word, I, and I know um, 
But this particular word I've written on the board before, that is the word for loving kindness. This word for saints or godly ones is from that same root. The godly ones are the ones who have experienced His loving kindness. The saints are the ones who have experienced His loving kindness. It's connected. Those words are connected. But, but it says, sing praise to the Lord, you His godly ones, and give thanks to His holy name. Give thanks to God. Again, thanking God is a way to praise God. And this next statement is really powerful. I um, may have told you this before. And you'll probably need to keep this quiet. So just this is between me and you all. That if I ever do write a book on Psalm, and that's not to say it's under construction. Don't get me wrong. I think I would use verse 5 as my title. Um, so I've got a title. I just need a book, a book to go with it. But uh, it, it says it speaks, first of all, of God. And it says his anger is for a moment. His favor for a lifetime. Now that's a pretty powerful statement that we can spend a whole lot of time looking at and we're going to spend some time looking at it. His anger is for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Okay? But notice, while that speaks of God, the second part speaks of man. What is the result of God's anger for the moment? Weeping. Weeping may last to the night. And that and that corresponds to the moment. But shouts of joy come in the morning. So in this psalm you see God's response to us or God's attitude toward us or however you want to phrase that and man's response to God's anger and man's response to God's favor one writer called this psalm this is this is inventive people one writer called this psalm from morning to morning Different spelling. From the morning of the night to the morning that is filled with shouts of joy. And, um, but his anger is for a moment, his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may last through the night, but a shout of joy may come in the morning. Now, let's talk about. That phrase, uh, when it says that um, weeping may last for the night, through the night. That word, the verb that is used in that sentence, or that part of the sentence, that phrase, about weeping may last through the night, it is used in Numbers 22, verse 8. Here's just a couple of instances. Numbers 22a, and the visitors come to Balaam, and God says, who are these visitors? And they come in to stay the night with him. In Judges 19, verse 13, as they are traveling and looking for a place to spend the night. The verb that is used there is a word that is used to to describe a short, temporary, one night stay. And that night of weeping is contrasted with the morning of joy. That moment of his anger is replaced by his favor for a lifetime. 
God's final word to His people is not lament and suffering, but deliverance to His faithful people. Now, let me read a passage that I like to read in this regard. This is from Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54. Listen to verses 7 and 8. Isaiah 54, 7 and 8. For a brief moment, I forsook you. But with great compassion, I will gather you. In an outburst of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting loving kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. So the brief moment that God forsook them, is contrasted with His great compassion with which He will gather him. God's outburst of anger, God's hiding His face for a moment, is contrasted with His everlasting loving kindness and compassion. Now, to go on in verse 10 of Isaiah 54, For the mountains may be removed and the hills shake, but my loving kindness shall not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord of... says the Lord. Isaiah 65, verse 19, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad... In my people, and there will no longer be heard in her the voice of weeping and the sound of crying. And he goes on to make great promises there. And we could deal with some other passages. Let me deal with one in the Psalms that looks this way. Look, Psalm 126. Psalm 126, 5 and 6. Psalm 126, 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. What if somebody in life experiences perpetual pain? Their, their mourning doesn't just last for one night. Their weeping doesn't just last one night. Can they take heart at this promise? The period of God's blessing for His people will always be much greater than the experience of suffering. Even if our suffering last longer than this. And and literally, I have had, and you have too, my guess is, passages where I've seen this fulfilled, that it's just a night of mourning and a day of joy and a day of celebration. But, But if it's not literally fulfilled, God's loving kindness will always outlast His anger, his, our shouts of joy will outlast our grief and mourning if we are faithful. And I think the purpose of this passage is if you are going through the night of weeping to assure us that there will be for his people a morning of joy. In the morning of joy, that's a song that we we used to sing. Sing, and and I'll tell you, that is one of those songs that I sung all the time as a young person. Never even thought I particularly liked that song at the time, but over the years, those words have rung in my head and provided me strength. And encouragement. Uh, that is a that is a powerful song. And that's not just for you, but 
your feelings for others that are going through things like that. Yes, uh, yes. Are also a part of that. Yes, that's right. Any statement right there about that? Someone uh, pointed out that verse 4 maybe uh, carries the idea that David's voice alone was not enough to praise and thank God. So he calls yeah. on others to do that. That's right. You know, it's always, we, we might individually have the experience, but we want to get as many to join in the praise as we possibly can. And uh, so that's, that's very good. Okay. This kind of gets back verses 6 and 10. And you notice I try to leave my outline up however much I erase other things. And um, at least till we get close to the end. But in verses 6 through 10, after he's been lifted up out of the pit, he kind of goes back to his situation. He goes back to what happened. He said, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I will, I will never be moved. We shall not be, we shall not be moved. Remember that song? And that's not always a bad phrase in Psalms, as we'll see in a moment. Oh Lord, by your favor, you've made my mountain to stand. You hid your face. I was dismayed. This talks about when he experienced the crisis. And then verses 8 through 10 talks about how he poured out his heart to God. To you, O Lord, I called, and to the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood if I go down to the pit? Will the dust declare your praise? Will it declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. So, I said in my prosperity, I will not be moved. I shall never be moved. Now let's look at that phrase first of all. Do you remember that phrase being used before in the book? Have we seen it used before? Yes. Yes, Evelyn. You're exactly right. Now, it, it was used generally it has been used positively. Look at 15.5. In 15.5, the Bible says that this person, this godly person who is to enter God's house does not put out his money at interest. He does, uh, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. And he who does these things will never be shaken or, or shall not be moved. In other words, in 16 verse 8, that same phrase is used. When the Bible says, I've set the Lord continually before me. He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. I will not be moved. In 21 verse 7, as God is making promises to the king, the Bible says the king trusts the Lord. For through the loving kindness of the Most High, he will not be shaken. All of these passages use that positively. To not be shaken, to not be moved is a positive thing. But look back at Psalm 10. In Psalm 10, in verse 6, the Bible tells us that he says to himself, I shall not be moved. Throughout all the generations, I shall not be in adversity. Well, who is saying that here? Look at verse 3. The wicked boast of his heart's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns the Lord. The wicked in his in the haughtiness of his countenance does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of sight. As for all all his adversaries, he snorts at them. He says to himself, I shall not be moved. Now, I'm asking you, in that context, is not being moved a good thing or a bad thing? Yes. <laughs> well, it's one of the two. That's exactly right. And it is a bad thing. It is the one who is saying in his heart, basically, there is no God who says, I'll never be moved. Here it is an indication of pride. It is an indication of pride. It is an indication of defiance toward God. Now, in this context, in Psalm 30, 
in verse 6. I don't think it is exactly parallel. It is exactly parallel to Psalm 10 in the sense that that man was wicked, boastful, proud, defiant. He was all those things. I don't think this writer of Psalm 30 is saying that he is all of this. But is it easy for us when everything is going well to say that life will always be this way? I don't mean this uh, illustration to be over your head you're too erudite. But on Gilligan's Island (laughs) (laughs) original episode where they're about to encounter when they're on this three hour tour they say there's nothing ahead but smooth skies and clear sailing and then we know the rest of the story and then we know for three years they're lost on that particular desert isle but we do that in our lives don't we I mean we think we're prospering physically financially and everything's going well and it's always going to be that way. And, and, and so I don't think I don't think necessarily he was defiant of God like the writer of Psalm ten. But he lost his sight. He lost track of his dependence on God. And I think that's what I do and you do sometimes. And failing to see that every blessing is from Him. In the midst of his things are going well, he thinks it'll always be this way. But he says in verse 7, By your favor I've made my mountain to stand strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. Now, we have seen throughout the psalm that God's Face is a metaphor for his protection and his presence. You hid your face, and I was I, I was dismayed. Um, number six, not not from the book of Psalms, but number six, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you, which we refer to every time that we encounter that particular expression. There's a statement very similar to what's found in Psalm uh, 30 verse 7 in Psalm 104 verse 29 as the Bible talks about all the creatures that God has made being dependent upon Him and it says, you hid your face, they are dismayed, you take away their spirit, they expire and they return to dust. All creatures are dependent upon God for life. And if God hides His face, we will die. We will perish. Psalm 27.9. Psalm 27.9 is used. Yes, that's right. Very good. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant. Do not turn your servant away in anger. And he also uses the term help there. You have been my help, just like he uses here in Psalm 30 and uh, verse 10. So very good, very good. Psalm 27 verse 9. But what does he do when he thinks that his prosperity will always continue and suddenly God hides his face and he he is dismayed. He, he, he's not. He is moved. God, remember, His anger's for a moment. His favor's for a lifetime. Why does God hide His face? So that we may run back to Him. And He can receive us with open arms. That's why God hides His face. Temporarily. To drive us back to Him. Hosea 2 is a beautiful picture of that. Um, but he says in verse 8, 
I called to you, I made supplication to you. And one of the things he says, which may be difficult for us to grasp, but he said, what profit is there if I, if I go to the pit? Uh, will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? These writers viewed death as the end of praising God. And Lord, what praise will you get if I die of this calamity? Now, what does this say about their overall impression of life after death? Um, I, some passages to write down in a margin beside of this uh, are like Psalm 6 or 5, uh, Psalm 88, verses 10 through 12. There are Psalms that seem to question the surety uh, of life after death. There are some that affirm that. Uh, the, the, if you look at Psalm 49 in verse 15 and Psalm 73 verse 24 it says with your Psalm 73 24 with your counsel you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory with your counsel you will guide me and receive me to glory and um, the relationship with God doesn't have an expiration date and I think we, we can show that from the Psalms themselves. But, but he's begging God to spare him, to deliver him, so that he will not go down to the pit. Now, this particular word for pit is different uh, than the word pit that was used um, before in verse 9. Verse 4, we said that that word for pit, or verse 3, that word for pit was used for Joseph's pit and, and, and Jeremiah's pit and prison. This particular word for pit is, all, is also a synonym for death. And uh, some places it has been used, is used in, I'll just give a few, in Job 17, 14. It is used, it's used quite frequently around Job 33, uh, verse 18, verse 24, verse 28, and verse 30. It was used in Psalm 16, verse 10. That, and it will be used in 55, in 49, 9. And 55, verse 23, among others. Now, there, there's some other places. Uh, by the way, this word is used when Jonah is going down to the pit, too, in Jonah 2, verse 6. I think that, that Jonah 2 may use both of these terms for Jonah's experience, both of these terms for pit. I know it uses this one. But, but my point, this word also indicates death, if you will look at those texts. So to go to the pit, the Old Testament is to go um, to death. and But he says, God, what profit is there if I go to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be my helper. And John mentioned 27.9 a moment ago. 27 9, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me, nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. Any questions there? Verses 6 through 10. You know, God can only be our helper when we recognize our helplessness. That's a good way to say it. To 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 get a phrase that God helps those who cannot help themselves, and when we understand how weak and broken we are, you know, it it is really hard. It is uh, it's probably too easy for me to understand. How a person can be twenty and arrogant. <laughs> I, can, I, I somehow can relate to that. Uh, it's hard for me to realize how you get to be old men and women and be arrogant. You don't know. You don't have the answers. 
You don't know. You can't solve it. And you don't know how one bad phone call could ruin the rest of your life. I mean, we are totally dependent on Him. Totally dependent upon Him. Well, and God hiding His face from David made Him realize that again. Yes, that's right. And, and so, God, if God's absence in a case like that is often for a constructive purpose of driving us back to Him. And uh, very true, very true. Um, he says in verse 11, as we close this psalm with giving thanks and praise, he said, you have turned for, for me my mourning into dancing. And please, no one here use as a proof text for, for dancing. Norm, don't, you know, none of you. Uh, you've turned my mourning into dancing. Uh, you have loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. Now that's a lot like verse 5, isn't it? That mourning may last for the night, but shouts of joy will come in the morning. Mourning, uh, this particular word for mourning, it, it refers to some of the, the, the greatest moments of grief ever seen in the Old Testament. For example, in Genesis 50, in verse 10, this word is used to talk about how people were mourning the death of, of um, Jacob and you know, the Egyptians see them mourning. It is used to the mourning that comes after the decree of the king to kill all the Jewish people in Esther 4 in verse 3. It is used as a mourning for an only son in Jeremiah 6.26 and Zechariah 12 and verse 11. It is used for some of the deepest moments of grief. But he says, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. It is. It has been turned from a time of mourning to celebration. Ecclesiastes 3, 4, there's a time for mourning and there's a time for dancing. In this particular psalm, the psalmist mourning has been turned into dancing. And you have loosed my sackcloth. He has changed his garments. Now, sackcloth was a garment that was worn to indicate sadness for sin and repentance. Even Ahab in 1 Kings 21, verses 27 through 29, put on sackcloth after he sinned. In Jonah 3, the people of Nineveh clothed themselves in sackcloth. Jonah 3, even the animals did. That was the clothing of sadness, mourning, and repentance. And God has removed our sackcloth and girded us with gladness. He has given us new clothes to wear. New clothes to wear. God has changed our mourning to dancing. He's loosed my sackcloth, girded me with gladness that my soul may sing praise to you and not be silent. Now, you have the ESV. It may be in other translations too. What is the word for soul uh, that is used? Dorothy, was you using the ESV before? Mm -hmm. That my glory may sing. Okay, it's a word glory. The word soul in verse 12 of the New American Standard is, is... is the literally the word glory, and that and that fits, and that, and that is closer to the to the Hebrew. What was the New King James have there, David? Oh, glory has glory too. So, why do I make a big deal about that? Um, that was a word used frequently in twenty nine. And remember, finally in twenty nine, everything in the temple in verse nine says glory, and here. We have this same term. My glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Now, there were two things in this psalm that were said to be forever. In verse 6, 
I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. But that the Hebrew actually uses the word forever. I will not be moved forever. Verse 6. He was wrong in that. He was wrong there. He, he said, I will not be moved forever. But here, he says, I will give you thanks forever. That may be wrong. But this isn't. He will give you thanks. He will give you praise. But the psalm begins and ends by exalting God. What do y'all see? What are your questions about there? Anything? Okay. Now, if this isn't an easy question, I don't know that we've had one in this class. What are some ways, at least one or two ways, you see Jesus in Psalm 30? I'll go back to your uh, resurrection uh, analogy there in uh, verse 2 and 3. Uh-huh. And, and I liked your mention of Joseph, you know, being brought up out of the pit. Joseph was brought up out of the pit to to rule over the nations. And yeah. Jesus was raised from the dead to rule over the nations. That's right. Yeah, so many comparisons, connections can be made uh, on that. But yes, it, it, God saved David from dying. As um, one writer said, the psalmist, uh, it is almost like the psalmist had died and been restored to life. But really he had been so close to death, it was as if he were already dead. And from that situation, God rescued him. God brought up David from Sheol. But God did that in a whole different way in the resurrection of Jesus. In the resurrection of Jesus, God brought him up from Sheol. Um, O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? And and like uh, Peter says in Acts 2, it was impossible for death to hold him in his power. And then goes on to quote from Psalm 16 in verses 8 through 11. But but verse 9 does the same kind of thing, doesn't it? Because we saw the term pit there can be used of death. Dust... To dust you are, to from dust you are, to dust you shall return. Genesis three nineteen. Dust is what we become as an ultimate result of our sin. And verse nine will emphasize the same kind of point. Verse nine will. Uh, what profit is there, my blood, if I go to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? In a certain sense. Through Jesus' resurrection, this question is answered, yes. Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your faithfulness? Yes. As we have been, as we are delivered from death, the Bible shows us God rescuing His people from situation after situation to build our faith and to strengthen us for the final test. Will He deliver us from death? Yes, David. In Jesus' death, they had weeping for the night. But that was turned to joy in His resurrection. I have to say, David, this was one of the most perfectly placed comments. Never had in class was not only 
was I going to make that point? I was going to make that point in this order. I was building up to that. So yes, yes, what a good point. But but look at John eighteen or John sixteen. So right on cue, David gives John gives me an opportunity to mention John sixteen twenty through 22 as Jesus was talking to his disciples as he's talking to his disciples um, the last night of his life he says truly truly I say to you that you will weep and lament but the world will rejoice you will be sorrowful but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain. Because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. I want to tell you, I cannot begin to fathom the depth of grief, depression, despair, all the other terms you could pile up. And those disciples must have felt the Friday night of the crucifixion. That the disciples felt the Saturday night after the crucifixion. But I can't begin to think of the great joy on a Sunday night when Jesus appeared to them and showed them Himself alive. You're going to weep. You're going to grieve. But it's going to be turned to joy. He will turn our... That's verse 5. And it's really verse 11. He will turn our mourning into dancing. He will turn... He will remove our sackcloth. And we will be filled with garments of joy. Look at another passage. One that you know. 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 17. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Now, that doesn't use the term weeping. Doesn't use the term rejoicing, but isn't it the same idea? His anger lasts for a moment. Weeping lasts through the night. Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Far beyond all comparison. Whatever trial or difficulty or trouble that we have in this life, the joy in the next one will so far surpass it that there is no comparison. I speak that by faith. I haven't experienced it. But I speak it because I trust the one who told me that. Our momentary light Affliction will produce in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Far beyond all comparison. And the way the psalm ends, it says, I will give thanks to the Lord forever. As 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about not to think their brothers who have died have missed out on the blessings of the Lord's return. And this section closes which says, There we shall ever be with the Lord. Forever. Forever. In First Peter 
1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice greatly, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. So the proof of your faith be more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He makes a contrast between your temporary, temporary trials and difficulties and their long-term pleasures. Now, first this, first Peter five thirteen. Excuse me, first Peter five and verse ten was the second passage I wanted to build up into build to in Peter. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect you, confirm you, and strengthen and establish you. Weeping may last through the night. Your little trial, he describes it as, or suffering for a little while. And those people suffered things that we haven't begun to see. But it's suffering for a little while. And it is contrasted with his eternal glory. I will give thanks to you forever. Yes. God's people will give thanks to Him forever and praise Him forever. That verse 2 emphasizes God being the God of all grace. And that seems to be a, a, a mini theme in this psalm too. Yes, yes, exactly. His, his loving kindness is, uh, is forever to His people. Yes. God of all grace, the God of all comfort. Anything else to add? I'm sure we could go more than that. Yes. John made a statement earlier about God, who God is able to help. Um, you remember the quote? John? God helps the helpless. God helps though. We know that's not what he said. God helps those who realize they they they're helpless. They help us. Okay, I, I couldn't help but remember Jesus in Nazareth that could do no mighty works there. Yes, uh, Mark six five and six. Yes, yeah, that's right. Because um, they were so hard hearted and didn't believe. In just, in just a moment, uh, we're going to lead a song. Who's going to lead us in this? Are you lead us in this? Okay, that brought that Brad had for us. Um, you something. And, and this may not be easy to do in all these cases, but and, and I don't want to spring this on any of you off the cuff, so I'm going to try to do this. But let's try to pray a prayer similar to what you just read, and I'll lead us in that as, as, before we have our song. Oh Lord, we praise you and we exalt you for how many times. Have we been about to stumble and you lifted us up? For some of us, that has been physically that we were going down to the pit and you rescued us. For some of us, that has been spiritually as we were almost won over by Satan and evil and you rescued us. Sometimes it was just we were broken and discouraged and you lifted us up from there. Oh Lord, you have delivered us time after time. Your anger, your wrath at sin is real. But we praise you that you are longing to show mercy. That your anger's for a moment. Your favor is for a lifetime. That weeping may last for the night, but shouts of joy in the morning. We thank you that our troubles have been relatively short-lived in life. In our moments of ease have been many.
I know that's true in my case. And maybe all would confess that's been true in theirs as well. Thank you, God. May we never say, I will never be moved in the sense that we think our situation will always be the same, that we are on autopilot and that we are in no need of you. The reason things are well with me, the reason things are well with us, is because you have blessed us. You bless us with every bite of food we eat, every drink of water that goes across our lips, with every friend we have, with every moment of health and strength, with every penny that we own. It is all from you. And Lord, if you were to hide your face, we would crumble. Thank you for delivering us over and over. May we speak of you to those around us. May they join us in praising you. And may we sing praises to you forever. In Jesus we pray. Amen.